Hey, what's going on, guys? It's Rico from the Made in China podcast and Source Find Asia. This week's episode is, uh, you know, it's a Made in China podcast first. We interviewed Ryan Flynn. I think I mentioned him before in a previous episode. I don't remember which one it was exactly, but he was a fan of the podcast. He works for a multinational sportswear corporation, um, internationally known brand. We couldn't mention the name in this particular episode just because uh, you know PR for PR reasons but yeah he he was a fan of the podcast he he found us organically was listening to the made in china podcast and then was on his way to china for business reached out to me uh ended up meeting up with him in guangzhou we had a couple of drinks we connected on life and uh you know and then now he's on the podcast so this is the first time we've ever interviewed somebody who was a fan of the podcast found us organically and then you know was actually uh very much involved in in a very high level business and related to manufacturing at the moment and yeah i just thought that it would be awesome to have him on the podcast he dropped some knowledge bombs very different from what we normally talk about even though it's still manufacturing because he's dealing with such high volume um you know he has different issues and then he's also a designer so he has a completely different perspective on you know how things are done whereas for me I'm more of the project management aspects and and, and then the design I outsource to other people so a very interesting conversation i think a lot of uh, a lot of interesting topics that we we touched on and and things that are you know still related into you know manufacturing but just got a different perspective let's say enjoy i don't want to be a product of my environment I want my environment to be a product of me. My girlfriend brought some Hawaiian beer, Kona, big wave. It's pretty good. I've never had that. It's light, easy. I just, I just had like a Chinese beer yesterday. It was like a, it was a Chinese wheat beer. It was like outlaw panda wheat beer of China, Zhejiang. Like, <laughs> it, was like, it was the longest name ever, but it was an awesome, awesome beer actually. I like outlaw panda. That's okay. the name of a beer. Outlaw panda wheat beer, Zhejiang. <clears throat> oh my god! I went to a Chinese restaurant last week. That's one of the better ones, and they sell uh, chintels for six bucks. It's insane. Oh Jesus! What? <laughs> I'll be like, get, hell no! <laughs> take this back. What? Well, you get giant. Don't you know this is ninety cents in China. Yeah, you get giant like, bottles oh for my six God. Uh, I'd I'd get angry. Actually. <laughs> I'd, I'd be pissed. <laughs> How dare you? I mean, <laughs> what's up? Uh, all right, man. I'll just start with the opening question. What motivates you more? Money, legacy. Uh, technological innovation or acquiring knowledge probably legacy i think that's what a lot of designers or you know set their sights on you want to make a product that's uh long lasting and people can talk about it for years and you know one of those products that's just timeless that's that's the most important i think like i've probably talked about in the in the introduction and stuff like that can you talk about your background and leading into what you do now yeah, uh, let's see. I started with a retail store a while ago in 2006 or seven, and did that for a while. I did. A, I designed a few things, a couple SME products for just my my store, uh, and that's kind of the little first bits of design. I've always been drawing and stuff like that. 
Um, and then I that got stale. I got tired of running that and just kind of getting by. And I decided to go to college and went to the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City and studied footwear design. I wanted to do footwear design. So I did that. Did some freelancing. And what drew you to footwear design specifically? Uh, I'm a I'm a coast guy. I've been into action sports and skateboarding, and it's you always go through shoes so fast, and it's always so nice when you get that that fresh new pair of shoes. And I think I've always liked and liked design, and that kind of just seemed like a natural fit. Nice. What kind of shoes do you deal with most of the time? Sneakers or all kinds of stuff? At work, it's I do athletic lifestyle footwear, mm-hmm. um, but you know I'll design whatever. <clears throat> on my free time mostly something tech you know technology based i guess okay whatever look whatever looks good you know right 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 so continue for where you left off you said that you got into footwear design and you're studying yeah and then i bounced around and did some freelance for a while i did uh headphone design and then what i do from there i did some weird graphic design for national geographic i had a friend pass me some stuff for a brain games tv show and i you know, got to sit in my undies and get paid to do graphic design, so that was pretty cool. And then I ended up taking a footwear job with opening ceremony, and that was kind of like where it all really started. So, What is opening ceremony for those of us who aren't aware? An opening ceremony, it's a, uh, I guess it's a designer department store, okay. a lot higher, a lot more higher end. It's like a, like a higher end Urban Outfitters, but um, yeah, it's just a, those brands that are, I don't know, high high fashion, streetwear, stuff like that. Okay. You know, they do a lot of vans, a lot of vans, um, special colorways and exclusives and a lot of big collabs and stuff like that. So I worked for their private label, though. Cool. And then that led you to your current work? Yeah, I actually had uh, somebody from my old college reach out and ask if I had any interests. I was, <laughs> I was always the black sheep. I... In New York City, you know, you have a lot of high fashion people and a lot of women in design and fashion. And I'm kind of the, I was that weirdo that wanted to do man stuff, I guess, men's <laughs> stuff, athletic stuff. And <laughs> uh, and someone reached out to me and said, hey, this company's perfect for you. You know, it's athletic footwear and there's not a lot in New York City. It's all, you know, a lot of the big industries are in Portland and Boston. And um, so when this came across, I, I gave him a call and few months later i started working with them so is that the first when you start working for that company of course we can't we, we don't want to talk about the name right now because it's a pretty pretty large company um was that the first time you started coming to china or had you been to china before that um that was the first time i came to china i was supposed to do headphones for three months and i turned it down because the deal wasn't right they just they wanted me to live in china for three months mm-hmm. um, and it was still uh <laughs> it was still a strange idea at the time and when was uh, this? The deal just wasn't right. Maybe uh, 2012? 2012. 11? Okay. Something like that? Yeah. And we. It seemed like a big decision at the time, even though three months is really not. It's not that long. It probably right. would have been a great experience, but, but I'm here now. So. And the headphones was a, a different company? or? Yeah, I worked for Harman, and they do uh, Harman Kardon, JBL, AKG. And they do all the, they do all the stare, all the sound for Yankee Stadium, and well, I think I think a lot of the Infinity cars, I believe, they have Harman Kardon in them. Mm-hmm. So you were destined to come to China. I, <laughs> eventually, yeah, it was on my radar for sure. 
And uh, you, we met through the podcast, man. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like, how did you find us? Yeah, I was going to China and I, you know, I, anytime I, I podcast is kind of like a new thing for me. It's like my new obsession. Anytime I want to learn about something or I'm interested, I have a great train ride on the way to work and not, you know, I don't feel like reading books or downloading books. I can just, you know, hop on the podcast and find something whether I'm interested in branding or, you know, any topic, you know, my personal interests. I just find that and I found you guys, which was cool because... You know, a lot. There's a lot of boring podcasts out there, and there's a lot of guys that are maybe 40s, 50s, or something. And it's more of a hobby. And uh, when I came across your guys, I was like, oh, these guys are like me. You know, they're young professionals, and it was more, a little more enjoyable. So I started listening, and I think you had some Kickstarter stuff on there. I've been interested in Kickstarter recently. I think it's pretty cool what what they're doing with that. So nice. Uh, I just yeah, and I was, I was like, I'm going out here. I got, I got to say hello and see if these guys are around. So just, just we give got me a couple of years. I'm going to get my NPR voice and just say, "This is the Made in China podcast," <laughs> and uh, with Ryan Flynn. And uh... <laughs> that's that's exactly it. Instantly, you can tell if it's going to be lame or not. You know, you can just <laughs> that, so if their music sucks or if they're if it's that old guy that's boring. It's a, nope. Find the next one about branding or whatever. Right. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You're literally the first person who listened to the podcast, reached out, and then now we're interviewing you on the podcast. That's that's kind of insane. Um, so, of, of course, we touched on the fact that you have to come to China for your job. What is your role exactly in the company? I'm the design director and now creative director nice. for the lifestyle footwear division. Okay. And then how frequently are you traveling to China? Uh, it seems like it's been every three to four months. It sounds like I'm going to be going maybe every three months now. It seems like it's going to ramp up a little bit. They, it seems like it's so much cheaper to send me to China instead of shipping back, you know, large, large boxes of samples. You know, yeah. but where's it, yeah. it adds up? So they're, they'll just send me. I'm the workhorse. Where do you go in China most of the time? Do you have specific places that that you usually hit? Are you mostly in the south, or or do you guys have factories that you work with all over the country it's definitely mostly in the south mm -hmm. we because this company is relaunching the lifestyle program okay. uh we are we've, we've been trying a lot of factories and we've tried a lot of places to find the right partners to make sure our stuff comes out just right so we've been all around you know the nice the nice athletic footwear seems to be in Dongguan. Uh, right. a lot of stuff's out there for you know on a china level for athletic to where it's not too too high end, but it's still a little bit nicer than where we go sometimes. Also, like um, you know, Chenzo or Fujian and all that, all those areas around there. Right. So, I mean, people who listen to to the podcast, they get an idea of what it's like being a foreigner who's who's here all the time, who's stationed here and living here. But um, what are some takeaways that that you could tell people as you know, a foreigner who's who remotely visiting China? Um, well, let's see. You mean a foreigner that's? I'm sorry. Explain that again. No, but because I'm saying you come every every three to four months, so it's a different experience for you than say me and Rico, who who's here all the time. So you know, maybe what are some things you knew? What are some things you wish you knew about China before you first started visiting? And you know, if someone else was to to follow in your footsteps and and work remotely with China. You know, what could what advice would you would you be comfortable giving them? 
Okay. Uh, I think that I think the area is the most important part. You know, for an expat, it's it's hard sometimes, and just a lot of the areas I go to, it seems like they don't have a huge expat community. It's mostly industrial, mm-hmm. so it's kind of hard sometimes to find anything outside exciting to do outside of work all day. Um, so I think you know if you can get into a good area, or if you know you're not going to be in a good area, make sure you have a really nice hotel that that backs it up, you know, so you can at least enjoy that and bring plenty of stuff to entertain yourself, you know. And the internet's bad, and the VPNs suck, and it's it's just hard to get all that stuff going if you haven't done it before. So yeah. bring lots of movies, get your computer loaded up, yeah, you know, don't all load that as many stuff. podcasts as possible prior yeah. to flying. Prior to flying, yeah. China happens to be. Uh, they have the greatest architecture for skateboarding, so I can kind of just cruise around and, and wow. find some exercise and have a good time doing nice. that. But for most people that don't do that, you have to you know get creative and find ways to keep yourself busy when there's nothing to do because that's that's the reality a lot of times for me. So it's kind of a bummer sometimes. Ryan, I I know from like when we hung out in, in Guangzhou, like you are frequently going to various cities, right? So do you? Do you tend to like have like, do you use like Guangzhou as like your home base and then maybe do, you know, one or two day trips to Dongwan and, you know, a day trip to Shenzhen kind of thing? Is that something that you would recommend to other people as well? Because as you just mentioned, a lot of those places are more industrial and there isn't much of an expat community, you know? Yeah, I mean, Guangzhou is cool because it's got, you know, it's got a lot of stuff for Westerners and it's mm-hmm. got a big expat community and it's it's more of the big city, but I I started actually staying in Dongwon. I had I found a great uh a great supplier that is Australian, so we connect a lot easier and he takes me rock climbing and all this stuff. So mm-hmm. I start and it's and I saved the commute, you know, it's an hour and a half from Guangzhou to Dongwon, so yeah. that's 3 hours out of the way. I do have a supplier in Guangzhou that we like to go to, and we we've been with him for since the beginning. So we kind of st- we touch de- touch base there and start there, and and then now I'm going to start spending a little more, lot more time in Dongwon. So, okay. So what what does a, a typical trip to China entail? Like you're, you're visiting suppliers, right? What is that like? What is that exactly? Are you just coming there, communicating, design changes? Like, what are your specifics? Well, we spend a lot of time on design, and then we get our tech packs right, and we send it out. And once they have materials ordered, which takes you know ten days to two weeks usually, uh, then I can then f- you know fly out shortly after that, and hopefully they'll have the first pullover or sample round done for me. And then I can make sure the panels are right. I can make sure the materials are right, and make a make a whole bunch of revisions as soon as I get there, mm-hmm. and kind of save myself a, a couple rounds. You know, what do you think are the most difficult? aspects of of what you do when when visiting these factories or or suppliers i think time you know that's i don't have a lot of time and it's hard to be creative and think outside the box and and baby you know your product when you have so many out there and your times you have to maximize your time when you're only there for a few weeks and i you know sometimes i'm there for three weeks which is actually a long time it seems like for i think some people go for a week or two yeah yeah Uh, but three and you know we have a lot of we have a lot of styles and we have a lot of factories and you know, this person makes this right and that person makes that right. So you got to trim down who you got to know exactly what supplier is great at what. And then on top of that, if your design, it just isn't working the way you imagined it. You have to come up with new construction techniques on the spot. And, you know, if a good, if they have a good showroom, it kind of helps so you can benchmark a, maybe a good heel cap or something that someone did that makes sense for what your shoe looks like. Or, you know, it's just co- coming up with the stuff on the spot. You kind of, you got to have your A game before you hit that factory that day and, Make sure you can make the right decisions to save yourself a whole nother sample round or two, you know. Mm-hmm. 
I guess somebody might be listening to this and they'll be thinking, well, you know, you're going to China. Now you're going to be going to China every three months. You know, there's a lot of stuff to do. Why not just move to China and then also, you know, come hang out with Rico? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, t- we talked about that. Um, and, you know, it, so- it sounds cool, but <clears throat> part of me, part of me thinks it's just too far away from everything that I know and love. And that's, that's a big part of it. Um, it, you know, I, I have a backyard in New York City, which is kind of unheard of sometimes. And I waited and waited for this apartment and finally found it. And I know that's almost impossible in China, it seems like. So it's just little things like that that I'll miss, you know, barbecuing and just having space. And even in New York City, we have managed to find a, a good spot. And it's that, that kind of stuff makes me not want to go to a, for, a more foreign place mm-hmm. away from family where my, where my hometown's from to have even even less, even though the money's, you know, would be right out there and the cost of living is great. Um, I think it's I think it's hard to think about being so far away, but it's temp, it's tempting, you know, and I'm sure my job would love to have me out there a lot closer. Yeah, bro, bro. What about the deep fried snake and Baijiu, man? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I'm more the, I'm more the Piju drinker, but <laughs> yeah, I don't uh, Baijiu. Uh, I still haven't come to terms with that drink. You know, it's too, it's too I, I had I had some oh, once, nice. and I was at this bar in Shanghai, and this this poor bartender was. She's like, "Oh, do you want to try this?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure, I'll try. I've had it before." And she gave me one that tasted. Uh, it had you know, like a floral taste and. I I figured out the word in my Pleco app to say it tastes like flowers and it was pretty funny, but that's not yeah, it's not my not my brand. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> um, so I guess you know Mike kind of touched on this before, but are there any mistakes that you made early on? Any particular horror stories? Or... Oh, I have to think about that one. Um, horror stories. I mean, we've gotten the bait and switch with a factory in our in our early ongoings you know we we've had a factory materials they swap materials on us they changed last even they went they went far they changed last and realized they made a mistake and had to remake the outsole mold which cost them tons of money and i i don't know why they did that i still can't put my finger on it but we we had we paid for the mold we had a mold done we had a last picked out everything was great and we had the materials picked out everything was fine and then we got all the samples. Salesman samples were good. Everything was good. And we got pre-production, good. And then next thing you know, the production rolls in. It's a whole new last that's bulky. And you know, our, our lasts are typically more on the smaller, uh, slim side. And this one came out with a huge toe. And, <laughs> and the outsole had obviously been changed. And they had to make a new mold for that. Uh, it just the, the measurements were off for the same sample size. So... Uh, they went through a lot of trouble to really screw things up, and I don't understand why. But um, and the materials, you know, like they completely the materials is the hardest part about China because there's, you know, there's different grades and what they think is good and what we think is good. You gotta, you know, you gotta have great samples you bring with, for example, like you know, reference samples, and you gotta make sure that you know your your China <laughs> grading scale. I guess you know, like for Swayze, they just have A, B, and B two or I guess and yeah. all these weird all these weird codes you're you know just give me good suede damn it I, th- <laughs> I think I said this a, a bunch of times on on different episodes but a lot of the Chinese factories have the grade they say chabudo chabudo means like same thing same same good enough yeah good enough exactly and that <laughs> you know when you're putting your heart and soul like you are in your design behind something and then you see it off and you see the wrong materials. You know, for you, it's a big deal because you need to get, you, that's why you're coming to China. That's why you have a job, right? To, to, to get those details right. 
And, and, yeah, and that's just something you constantly deal with out here. Is yeah, you know, yeah, it's 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 pretty close. I think it looks all right. I think you can you can you can ship this out and pay us right now. You know. Yeah, man. That that's like if you know that these are my babies. You know, yeah. and they they got to be right. They have to have the nicest this and that. You know. Yeah. So, but they definitely do that. You know, they we we said that joking today in the office with one of our sales guys, and we you know we're like you know you go out there. And if you come back before those samples are right, they're just going to do what they want sometimes. They're going to send you what they think is passable, you know. Mm-hmm. And that happened today. So now we have to go through another round. One of the one of the points you touched on was very important for for listeners is just like the different like grades of quality, right? So you might have an idea of what you think even if you're using the same language, they might think that that particular grade is different from what you have in mind. So bringing um, actual samples, physical samples that you can have them touch and feel and see is is, is quite important. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so, I mean, despite coming to China every every three to four months, um, I think one thing that we spoke about is that you don't necessarily deal directly with manufacturers these days. You deal more with trading companies. Can you explain why? Yeah, we still have a couple factories that we work with, uh, but but it, se- it seems to be when when you work with the trading company, when you when you work with a factory, you have one sample room, and you have you know they have their one go to guy for this material or what have you. When you go to a trading company, they have multiple outsole fac- suppliers and multiple material suppliers and multiple people that they can reach out to, to to find the best stuff to get it to get it done fast. You know, and I think it's worth. Sometimes it's worth you know the little extra that you might have to cut them in on, just to make sure you're getting access to having the best quality of everything put into your work. You know they have they have multiple people they can tap into, whereas one factory is just so limiting. You mm-hmm. know, so it's it's like tapping into the 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 network or you know the resources that a trading company might have. Yeah, and you know I don't think these are the typical trading companies. You know, like mm-hmm. the the footwear in the footwear world, the trading companies. Uh, some of them are are really huge, and they do you know they do the best work, and they work with the best brands and the big brands, mm-hmm. and they have the nicest facilities that you know you see you're getting what you pay for, and the work comes out so much nicer, so much faster. And I know, uh, just thinking about trading companies for other stuff, I don't know if that's the case. You know, I don't know if it's the same outside of the footwear industry, but for footwear, I don't think it has the same bad connotation that it might have with other other products and other other industries are you dealing with local trading companies or are you dealing with foreign owned trading companies they're foreign owned foreign owned yeah i think i mean i'm i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry they're 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 local chinese companies local local chinese companies For, foreign to me <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah yeah exactly. yeah that's true um yeah no i think i think yeah there's a there's a certain uh stigma that chinese trading companies have um, in my experience, I mean, I, I prefer to deal directly with the factories because we're a trading company. But I have, you know, a couple, like I have one specific trading company, local-owned Chinese trading company. And we they help us source certain products, you know, and, and they're really good and they have a wide network and stuff. And it's really valuable. So I think if you can tap into those, then it can be quite helpful. At the same time, if you tap into some of the other trading companies, you could have situations where they switch out materials on you or, you know, things like that. But, yeah, I, I think there's definitely a stigma behind it. Yeah. You got to kiss a lot, of, a lot of frogs before you get that prince, I guess. And that's <laughs> exactly. the same the yeah. companies, you know. So one thing I wanted to talk to you about is, like, you're a designer, right? And, of course, you know, I'm sure you, you have a lot of cool ideas for the shoes that you make. 
have you found that you have like limitations on what can actually be done and uh you know can you explain uh, can you give a couple examples of that yeah and i think a lot of it comes down to time and development i think if you have a crazier design um, that ha- doesn't have an exact reference in the market that you can give them to copy, maybe a construction technique or what have you. You're, you know, you're just you just doubled or tripled your, or who knows, even more, you know, your development time because they might have not ever done that construction technique. You might want a certain transparency to something that they've never done, and you have to get it just right. And the, the crazier the design, the more limiting because time is always the factor in a lot of design. You know, a lot of designers and a lot of a lot of brands are always behind the gun. We got you know, next season. Guess what? The next season's right behind you, and the one behind that is they're all lined up and they're all going to be coming, whether you like it or not. So mm-hmm. you have to kind of pick your battles, I guess. And that's that's the frustrating part because sometimes you you know, designers are dreamers, and you dream big, and you want you know the biggest, craziest, the best you can get with the time you have, and sometimes I get into samples and I'm like, man, this shoe could be so amazing, and then. It would it would be, but I don't have the time to see it. You know, see it full. Mm-hmm. So you're dealing with large scale orders. You know, because your your company is like a multinational brand. Like, what are things that you have to pay attention to that maybe some smaller companies or maybe people just young entrepreneurs probably do not. Uh, I mean, the logistics is definitely a pain in the ass uh, for any for anybody on the scale that we are. But that's you know I don't handle any of that, which is nice. But that it's still I still feel like I have to think about it and keep that in the back of my head. Quality control is obviously the biggest one. You know when you have when you have people doing high production, they're working so fast to make it worth their while. You know they're paying their workers, and if you can get everything done fast then it's less you know less money that they have to spend to pay their workers and Mm -hmm. that means the quality is gonna sometimes take a hit here and there and you got to be on that if you're producing so many so many units you know and that's that's just something the qc is the most important for anybody small or big company but it's definitely harder as your as your volume increases so i mean what kind of qc are you doing are you like um what's a typical i'm sure you have mid-production checks things like that and then end of production check like are you still following just are you checking for a certain percentage or you know how do you how do you handle the QC yeah I mean footwear is crazy there's there's so much too that goes into a shoe that has to be right before it's uh, done right you know and on a QC level we have a QC person and a team that handles that stuff but mm-hmm. I know I know there's you know bonding issues cement issues color fastness issues you have lead issues and all the all this stuff that you know goes into making a shoe and if it's off you can have mold you know by time that by time that shipment leaves china on the boat and gets gets across the sea then it's you know if you have the wrong stuff and the wrong chromes and the wrong this and that in your shoes you're going to have moldy shoes or you're going to have stuff that you can't sell in california because it has lead in it or mm-hmm. you know there's just there's it's so technical and i i almost I'm glad that I don't have to worry about too much about that stuff on my personal end. That it's it's daunting. There's it's, there's a lot that goes into it. But. And then at that point, your workload is significantly increased, like double. Mm-hmm. You have a whole new job of trying to figure out how what to do with those shoes, how to get them back, how to get some type of compensation from the factory. Yeah, yeah. I mean. That's yeah. It gets kind of crazy. I mean, what do you do? You go to you, you go to TJ Maxx and sell all your stuff there. That hurts the brand. You know, it's not worth the discount. You know. Yeah. 
So, like, where does your role end in the production process? Like, when when do you kind of pass it on to another person in the in, in the supply chain? Um, we get we get pre-production and as long as that looks good then they go ahead and they test everything and then they'll go ahead with full production and then they'll go ahead and retest again mm-hmm. so once it, once we get once we have the last sample round and then we have salesman samples it's kind of out of my hands at that point okay cool and i know we spoke about this before like you were talking about you know having to hit certain you know cost levels and things like that how do you save costs while retaining the same level of design Oh, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. You know, your volume, how many units you're ordering is the biggest part. You know, that's all they want. You go to China and sometimes we want to make a limited run of something. Sometimes we have a collab we're working on mm-hmm. and we want to do a small volume and sometimes that's challenging and sometimes, um, I kind of lost my train of thought. <laughs> how do you, how do you save costs while retaining the same level of design that you want to achieve? Yeah, saving costs is challenging. You know, you have to work with materials. I think that's a big part of it. You know, if you have a shoe that is full grain leather, um, you can do little things like changing the body of the tongue or the insole, and maybe those can be, you know, a P or action leather, and then the insole can be mesh. And you know, those little tricks can save a ton of money. You know, mm-hmm. if you if you do it that way, you can still have a full a full grain leather shoe and call it leather and. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to think of other ways that we do to cut. We try to save money, but um, it's all volume for the most part. You know, it's mm-hmm. the volume and materials. Those are the two main things that really keep your costs down. Yeah, you you hit the point that I wanted to I wanted you to talk about, which was like sort of mixing certain aspects of the material. So like you have the majority of the shoe being leather, and then you have a certain other parts that are PU or something like that. Right. Yeah, you'd be surprised how many shoes you know you think you're wearing a leather shoe and it's actually polyurethane. It's not. It's not even leather. It's <laughs> completely synthetic. You know, most people have no idea. I'm sure. Is there like a percentage that is like? Is there a percentage of a shoe that has to be leather for it to be called real, genuine leather? Or yeah, we have. You know, if you're dabbling with action leather, where it gets a little tricky, you have to to technically be called leather. I believe you have to have uh, a layer the film layer on top that has the texture and leather texture it has to be 0.15 millimeters or less mm-hmm. to be considered leather i think technically that's what it is but don't don't quote me on that one <laughs> all right have you noticed the more you work with certain suppliers or, or trading companies the more preferential costs you get the better the better cost that they're relaying to you yeah 100 percent. you know like the the more you hang out with them the more you do good business and the more you're, you have better communication and correspondence, the better. You know, anything, everything helps. You know, I'm not going to go as far as to go to the the KTVs. You know, but you know, hey man, yeah. if you're in Dong One, you know, it's, it's an inside joke for anybody that's been in China. Uh, they so, tried to take me one for my birthday when I was out there recently, <laughs> and I was like, oh man, I'm not doing that with you guys. Uh, you're trying to get, you're trying to get the, you're trying to get you know. The, to get on my good side or something, and then you know, next thing you know, you're they're going to think I'm going to let something slide, and that's you know, you got to keep your distance a little bit. All right. So to turn it back around to you, Ryan, um, what would you say to this point with with all the different work that you've done would be the proudest moment of your career? 
Uh, we're getting ready to drop a really big collab with uh, an amazing retailer that we're proud to work with. Mm-hmm. And they took one of my original designs and we worked together on a collaboration shoe with them. And that's dropping. I'm having a launch party for that in about a week and a half. So mm-hmm. Are that's, we I mean, I think that, <laughs> yeah, get, get out here. All right, cool. Get, come to New York city. You'll, you're invited for beautiful, sure. Beautiful. So I think, I think seeing that, you know, seeing, seeing people appreciate the design and want to wanting to use it for their brand or their, you know, their business is that's the most rewarding seeing it on people's feet, you know? Cool. Cool. Uh, I just, one thing I forgot to, to ask just to give people an idea of the scale that you're working with like can you give a range of the size of your orders um maybe per order or per year um i'll give you an example we have you know if we start with a new supplier we'll we'll do what we call a test order with them you know it's like we we challenge them to see if they can make shoes good enough for us and we'll do a test order and a lot of those kind of start at you know around a thousand units per color or 600 units per color and Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and the way it works a lot of times is you'll make these you'll make these great samples, and sometimes they don't get produced. Maybe they just aren't received well, and you'll go to a trade show, and some sell and some don't. And the the ones that sell, the ones you go into production, and that you know depends on how your show goes and how your clients are, how your your retail customers are, and depends on your volume at that point. And that's it seems like that's the way it goes mostly. Mm-hmm. So for us, if we're if we're keeping stock on something, it's we'll start with the test order to make sure production is is right and then we'll we'll see how the orders go after that and then like a large scale order would be something along the lines of what oh i mean there's legendary shoes out there that everyone's seen and probably worn that you know have sold millions and you know that's over years obviously but you could have you know tens of thousands of pairs per style you know and that's that's a good you know it's a good order yeah so they do they do big business like you know the the money exchange rate is is significant from u.s to the chinese dollar but uh that they're making good money out there that's for sure you know especially with the big brands and they they'll command the whole the whole factory to themselves and they'll do <laughs> you know they get they can get away with that because it's still they're still making great money making just with money. one yeah. client yeah that's true sure. um what is the smallest thing you've done that's brought you the best results in your line of work marketing <laughs> that's and that's not my forte and i don't really have any business being a part of it but uh um doing doing more of this creative direction for this brand it's led me to reach in i've had to reach out outside of the design world and i've had to find some good partners and make friends with some of the some of the good blogs that we're going to be working with here really soon and and just and just the collaborations that we have on on deck is is the biggest thing i think when you go to a buyer and you say you're doing something with so and so and so and so it that's the way it's going right now. Everyone has a collab. Everyone's working with somebody, and it's just all about validation. You know, you could have the best shoe, and if you know no one's going to see it if it's not marketed, then no one cares. But if someone likes it and puts their name on it for you know puts a different spin on it, then it's then it's amazing. You know, and it's everyone's got uh, the same brain sometimes, which is good for us. It makes it easy. Nice. Um, if someone were to understand you better, what type, what three books, blogs, or podcasts should they read or listen to? Oh my god! Let me pull up my phone and see if I have some other good podcasts on here. It's supposed to say "Made in China," man. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, man. That's how I met you guys. You know, from listening to the show. So definitely, if you go, if you're going to China at all, I recommend recommend listening to Source Find Asia. It's a good one. 
What else? What else do I got on here? Oh, I I listened a bunch to the Crowdfund Genius, and that's the uh, that's like a bunch of the Kickstarter stuff. Mm-hmm. I just like hearing those stories. I loved your. That's why I loved your Ruggy episode, and that that guy was cool to listen to. Yeah, so the success stories, you know, everyone wants to hear those. Yeah. Uh, what else do I listen to? I've listened to a bunch of EO Fire, Entrepreneur on Fire. I guess okay. that one's got a bunch of good characters on there. Uh. So how about how about applications? What what type of uh, applications do you use most regularly? And, and and you know what are those three applications that you just can't live without for your work? For work in the states or work in China? I mean, we just say overall. You know, what are the three most ap- important applications for what you do? Or is there a significant difference from when you're in China to USA for what what you're using? Uh, probably the most important is Skype for when I'm in the U.S. because that's how I reach out to you know our Portugal and Chinese factories. And e- email doesn't always cut it; it's the main go-to. But if you can get on a Skype call, it clears up everything so fast. It's you know, and I, no one has time to Skype all the time. But when you when you get a chance to, it really it helps. That's the most important. But I don't use it that much in China. You know, mm-hmm. be honest in China. Let's see what I use. Oh, fantasy baseball app. That's a good one. <laughs> That's necessary. Yeah. We WeChat and WhatsApp, you know, like a lot of those I communicate with people for work with WhatsApp and WeChat all the time. Yeah. And it, it's funny when I'm in China I use those a bunch and I'm I'm you know, I'm pretty good about checking them all the time and when I get back to the states they're they're still hitting me up on there and I'm I'm like go back to email, I'm in the states again. So I don't yeah. know if they like that much we, but WeChat doesn't send you push notifications if you haven't been on it for X number of days. So that happens a lot when people go back to the States, they just fall off. Oh, that's good to know. Now I have some ammo if they, if they get crazy. on <laughs> I wasn't I getting your know notifications, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Ryan, do you have, as a, as a closing question, do you have any general advice for designers who are, might be out there and trying to source uh, goods from China as well? Uh, for a personal brand, big brand, and they're just going to China for work. I think personal brand. Personal brand. Oh, uh, it's definitely difficult. You know, it's th- thinking about doing a brand of my own and starting from scratch. If you've never been to China or don't know anyone in China, it's uh, you know. FaceTime is really important. If you can make it out to China and just shake a couple of hands and and meet the factory agents or just show them that you're serious, it goes a long way. You know, if you don't if you don't go there and you don't show how serious you are, especially with the startup, you know, they're not going to take you serious because your volume is not going to be there and they're not going to be interested. But if you go there, it, it speaks volumes because you show it shows that you're doing business. You know, maybe even say that you do a lot of business out there already, and then it you know it helps validate you know, your presence out there. And I think that's, that's a, that's a good one. If you can get out there and just go see the factory, you know, and that's, it's, it's doubly important because if you see the factory and it's, it's not looking too good, maybe then you don't even want to start with them in the first place. Cause you're going to lose money with sampling and shipping and all of that. So if just one quick trip to China, if you can swing it financially, it's a good way to get started. You know, maybe go to Canton fair or something and you can kind of meet people and, that's that's probably the best way. I'm assuming that's how a lot of people do it, right? And, and then I think specifically for designers, maybe they want to start off with sim- more simple designs, right? If it's the first time. Yeah, you know, there's a in uh, 
where is it at? I think it was in GZ or Dongwon. They have this little, I think it was Guangzhou, yeah, they had a little market for footwear at least. Like for like if you were starting a new footwear company, you can go to this market and they'll, you know, you can find, everyone sets up these little booths, right? And you can kind of just go and meet people and see what they've been producing and see if it's the same aesthetic as your brand. And you can actually have them just sample a couple shoes, you know? Mm-hmm, You'll yeah. pay a premium for them, but you can just get a couple made really fast and really cheap and not have to go through a whole you know production order and minimums you know so if you go meet them you can kind of get a little head start all right Ryan. um man thanks for being on the podcast it's uh it's been like i guess this is a historical moment you know that's right i was a little nervous man this was the <laughs> first uh listener to to uh interviewee we've had how does it feel being on the other side it, yeah, it's kind of weird. Just just wait until you're, yeah. you're listening to yourself on the podcast <laughs> on your way to work. No, I'm gonna skip that one. I'm <laughs> <laughs> see. I'm surprised you don't have other listeners that either are like me that you know design and go to China and I haven't said what's up at all. So, I, I mean, no, we've had I people that have reached, reached out, but obviously you coming out here and having the chance to meet meet Rico, I think you know that was what kind of escalated. Yep. you know our, our relationship quicker yeah like I, we have listeners that have become customers um and then we have like for example there's one girl who's a listener she's actually kind of working for us right now um but then like i think you're a little bit unique in the sense that uh i think you're a little bit more um ahead in your career than some of our listeners i think a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs just just getting started in their journey um, so a lot of those are not coming to China now, or if they have come to China, maybe they're they feel like they're not ready to 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 reach out, you know. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, they they should. You guys are good guys. All Thanks right. for having me. Absolutely, All right, man. Appreciate you. Um, if anyone wants to reach out to you, how can how can they get you? Oh, they can find my outdated website. It's Flynn Projects F L Y N N dot com, or my Instagram is at Flynn underscore Projects. All right, man. And if anyone wants to reach out to us, that's info at sourcefindasia.com. You can check out the show notes uh, at www.sourcefindasia.com slash made in China, as well as past episodes. And thanks for listening, guys. Uh, See you next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. Orders, views of the water, straight from a page of your favorite.